welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On November 20th, the 12 winners from our monthly open mic story slams returned to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. We gathered at the beautiful Appel Center in downtown York, and our storytellers took the stage to share their stories with a full house, more than double the audience at our monthly events. Our theme for the evening was satisfaction. We heard stories of questionable adolescent decisions, adventures with loved ones, both animal and human, and relationships that change with time. Ted Elliker won with his story about the satisfaction, or lack thereof, with his family's pets. Satisfaction can be like an arrow. Sometimes it points to this person, and then through some chain of events, it points to another person. Sometimes it even swings back and forth. My wife loved cats, and so, to satisfy her, from the get-go, we had cats in the house. However, as I aged, I became certifiably and seriously allergic to cats. Naturally, my allergy had zero impact on the two-cat population in the house (laughs) because the kids loved the cats as well as the dog and the occasional snake and tarantula they kept. Comforting to know I wasn't allergic to tarantulas. However, the the kids finally leave the house, go out and seek their fortune after depleting mine, but the cats remained. And suddenly, after about 17 years, the cats died, and the cat-to-house ratio goes from two down to a pleasant zero for me. And the arrow of satisfaction swung from my wife over to me. Now, fast forward. A couple years later, I'm driving down the lane after work, and I noticed that the, to a cat-free house, I might add, and I noticed that the back basement light is on. I go in to uh, turn it off, and what do I see? A litter box on the floor. Upstairs, my wife is on the couch with a little black cat with a tiny white spot on her chest. She stopped by the SPCA on a whim and saw this cutie, couldn't pass her up. I said, I'm going to call her Ninja because she's dressed all in black and she's going to kill me. (laughs) My wife said, no, you know, it's been years. Maybe you don't have the allergy anymore. And, and, you know, we should go tomorrow and get a companion for Ninja. So the next day, despite the insanity of it, and armed with an EpiPen and a rescue inhaler, we go and we get another cat, a little gray male cat. Appropriately, I named him Slate. Suddenly, the arrow of satisfaction is pointed back at my wife. Now, in actuality, I wasn't too allergic to these cats because of the type of fur they had, and so we managed a sort of Cold War peaceful coexistence. Slate, being a male, he wanted to go out every night, although being neutered, he didn't know why. A couple years later, Slate goes out, never comes back. We lived in the country on 10 acres. I figured, eh, a coyote got him. And now the arrow of satisfaction starts to swing back, stops about halfway between us. Not long after, it's a gorgeous November Saturday, and I'm out putting up no hunting signs around the property, and I finish with the last one, and I hear this tremendous thrashing in the leaves. I investigate and I find my black cat caught in a trap. And she is in an absolute panic and a frenzy and I can't get near her. Finally, I manage to pull the trap anchor out of the ground and I pick the whole assembly up and I'm holding it there with this howling cat and and it looks like some kind of medieval mace and I start running back to the house and I'm yelling for help. Holly comes out and gets the cat calmed down. I get the leg out of the trap 
and it's Saturday, so the only place open is the emergency vet clinic on Queen Street. Run off to that we go, we rush her into the, into the place, and they take one look at Ninja and right off to the ER. And I'm thinking, the cat ratio could be zero pretty soon here. So I fill out the forms and we go to the waiting room and we start watching an infinite loop of Animal Planet because the clinic had one channel and that was it. Now, it's November and hunting season and with that, a lot of dogs came in that afternoon with gunshot wounds and Ninja keeps moving down the triage list. After several hours and approaching death by Animal Planet, I go up to the front desk and say, listen, can I give you my cell phone number and give me a call when the cat's fixed and I'll pick her up. Dead or alive, I figure. The guy says, yeah, just give me a deposit for half the bill. Well, what's the half the bill going to be? He says, give me 200 bucks. This free cat's not looking so cheap anymore. So, little credit card exchange, and wife and I are driving home. As we drive down the lane and turn the corner to the house, what do we see but a black cat sitting on the patio in front of the garage door? This black cat had a white spot on her chest. My wife said, my God, that's Ninja. I said, my God, whose cat did I just pay $400 for? She said, well, it was a stray. And also, it was a clone, identical twin, stunt double doppelganger for Ninja. And it was probably one of the cats from the neighbor's barn. That cat cost me $750. And just like that, the arrow of satisfaction points right back to the wife because the two-cat, one-house ratio has been restored. Those bookend cats are still with me and Boo has fully recovered and she seems to be quite satisfied with the whole outcome. Ted took home the trophy and bragging rights. Next up is Brian Spence, who told us, and for the first time his parents, about a Midwestern snowstorm to remember from his teenage years. All right, thanks. All right. So I bought my first snowboard when I was in high school from one of my best friends. His name was Eddie Chung. Uh, I remember the first day that he took me out and showed me how to ride it on the slopes, and it was the source I've ever been my whole life. But pretty soon after that, we were obsessed. All we did is talk about snowboarding. We put the posters up, read the magazines, knew all the models from our favorite brand, and there was just one problem. We were growing up in Midland, Michigan, which if you've ever met a Michigander, they have their map that they can show you. It's right here. And Michigan is about as flat as the palm of my hand. So you get a couple bored Midwestern kids who are obsessed with a gravity-based sport like snowboarding, and they're just going to have to adapt to their circumstances. So that's how Eddie and I found ourselves in the parking lot of the Stratford Woods County Park one winter afternoon in about 11th grade. So we had two assets for this mission. One was my father's 1990 Burgundy Volkswagen Vanagon camper van, which was those big kind of boxy things with the roof that flips up and there's a bed under there. A little four-cylinder engine in the back with rear-wheel drive that's great at doing donuts in the snow. Number two was the eighth grade exchange student from Korea that Eddie had been hosting for the most of the past year. And he had the advantage of having grown up in a place that actually had hills. So while he was three years younger than us, Eddie had gone snowboarding with him in Korea and he swore that the kid was great. So I wanted to see what he had. Now it had been snowing all day at this point. There's probably 10 or 12 inches of fresh powder, more of it coming down every minute. So we knew that the plows wouldn't come and plow the, this huge parking lot anytime soon. So we're all ready for plan A. Plan A looked like me in the front of the van again, 
Eddie in the back kneeling facing backwards with the back hatch open. He's holding onto one end of a duffel bag strap because it's the only thing that we could find in the vehicle for said mission. And the kid is outside the vehicle right against the bumper holding the other end of the strap. Plan A involved me driving straight for one of those 15 or 20 foot snow piles that kind of pile up after a couple months of winter in Michigan. Then I was going to turn at the last minute. We we're going to see if we could launch him into the air off the corner of it. All right, this was going to go really well. Don't worry about that light pole. Just bank yourself to the right. I think you'll be fine. All right. So planning went along pretty well up until the moment that we released him. And then he decided that it wouldn't be very hospitable for his host to fling him face first into an ice mountain. And we stopped right there. Plan B, okay, because I wasn't going to let this go. Plan B involved now lashing the duffel bag strap into the back hatch so we had a little bit more maneuverability off the back bumper of this thing. I was going to go straight down the half mile straightaway on the access road. And then I was going to turn at the last minute and we would just see how far he could go down the snow and just sort of surf it for a little bit. Plan B actually worked pretty well. Okay, I cranked it to the right, hit the brakes, and boom, the kid went flying by maybe about 50, 60 yards down the road. There were, however, now two problems. Problem number one was that the ass end of my dad's vanagon was now encased in the snowbank on the side of the road. Problem number two was that I had to be at work in under an hour. So we'll flash forward about five minutes. We've got the kid up in the driver's seat and he's mashing that right pedal with all of his eighth grade weight that we just taught him how to use. You know, this one when we all go, that one when we all stop. And Eddie and I are in the back, up against the bumper like a couple linebackers, buried up to our thighs in snow, pushing with all of our might. So I don't know if you've ever had that moment where the predicament right in front of you only has a few outcomes, and none of them are very favorable to you. Okay? That was the moment that I had. Because I'm just thinking, man, how am I going to get to work? I'm never going to make it to work on time. This is my first job. I'm a bus boy. They're going to fire me. I'm going to tell my parents. I can't call a tow truck, but with dad's AAA card, and they're busy actually pulling people off the road, you know, back onto the road somewhere. They're not going to come help out a bunch of knuckleheads in a, in a park. There is no way I'm calling my dad. <laughs> there is no way I want him to come and see the thought processes that were employed by his harebrained son for the past hour or so. So as I'm laying there and the exhaust is blowing down the back of my neck and my legs are getting flung with ice and slush, I could feel the anxiety kind of rising up as my heart was sinking. And then all of a sudden, it budged. Eddie and I gave it one big last little heave and the van popped up onto the road. And that was that. I drove them home. I slid into home at work with seconds to spare. My dockers soaked from the thighs down. But I had the smug satisfaction of knowing that not even 45 minutes prior to that, even though I was going to be stuck at work the rest of the night, I had been knee-deep in a snowbank, pushing my dad's vanagon out after I successfully slingshotted an eighth-grade Korean exchange student 50 yards down the road on a snowboard. <laughs> then I taught the kid how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, the most satisfying thing about telling this story here tonight is the fact that both of my parents are in the audience, and they drove here from Midland, Michigan. <laughs> Neither of them have heard this story before. So, Dad, thanks for letting me drive the van in high school. <laughs> Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Jason Plotkin, who told us about the lengths a father goes to to ensure his daughter is comfortable at swim lessons. 
I can't speak for the other storytellers here, but when JJ and the theme came up as satisfaction, I kind of struggled because, you know, I didn't have like a, a shitting story or I didn't have a shark story, I didn't have a bike story or a getting mugged for a Barbie doll story, you know. So I started to think what could be the best story that I'd come up with that encapsulates satisfaction. And the, and the, and the best story that I'd come up with was one where, you know, I found myself sniffing little girls' underpants. <laughs> let, me, let me back up here. So, I have an 11-year-old daughter named Ella. Ella is one of the lights of my life. She is empathetic and funny and sweet and bright and creative. And we could be sitting at home or out running an errand and we will have the best time ever. But when Ella does not want to do something, when Ella says no, when Ella says uh-uh, there isn't a force on this planet that can make that girl move. And when Ella was six years old, she was going to camp at the YWCA. And at night, a few nights a week, she would take swim lessons. Ella hated swim lessons. She hated it for two reasons. One is, she hated sticking her face under the water, like it terrified her to no end. And no matter what we would say to her, you know, we'd be like, hey, it's okay, your sister went through the same thing. She was like, no. The other thing she hated was, Without, without hesitation, every time some little boy in her class would splash her in the face with water. And it just would terrify her and she was upset. And, and I would try to like joke and calm her down and say, hey, don't worry about it. He probably likes you. It's how I met your mother. You know, we were in a bar. I threw water in her face and now we're married. And so nothing. So one night we're, we're getting those swim lessons at the Y. And you know how she would go usually is she'd wear her bathing suit and then she'd wear her clothes over, and then when it's over, you know, we'd take her in the bathroom, and she'd dry down, and she'd put her underwear on, and she'd throw her clothes over, and we'd go home. Well, that night, I forgot to bring her underwear. And so she was like, Daddy, I don't want to go swimming. I, I don't want to, and I'm like, honey, it's like, it's okay. We'll, we'll dry off your bathing suit as best we can, and then we'll just throw your clothes. She goes, no, no, I don't want to go, no. And I'm like, dude, then we'll take off your bathing suit, we'll dry you down, we'll just live a couple miles from the, from the Y here. I said, it'll be okay, you'll be without your, that's gross, no, I'm not going, daddy, take me home. I'm like, don't worry, I will get you underwear, I promise, we'll get us taken care of, want to do me a favor, you know, I was thinking, I can't call my wife to come bring some, because her and my oldest daughter were out doing something else, and we lived a couple miles from there, but I thought, it's a small class, it's like short and like half an hour, and I was afraid that by the time I got everything, it'd be over, and she was five, and I didn't want to just like, leave a five-year-old by herself after class. And so I was like, I'll figure it out. So I go up on the balcony and I'm stressing out over this thing. And I look down and the teacher's, you know, she's starting the class and she, she takes Ella in first and she's doing the underwater thing where she kind of like pulls him underneath and like blow bubbles. And Ella was like, I mean, it was like a freaking giraffe. She's like sticking her neck up and she's refusing to stick her head in the water. I mean, it's just like, I've never seen Arch like that. I mean, she's never stuck her face in the water. And then, so she brings her back, and I'm like, I'm standing up there, and he puts her there, and he takes, she takes out the next student, and I'm standing on the balcony, and I look down, and that little boy splashes her in the face. And I look to his mom, who's on her phone, and I look to the instructor, and she's like, obviously, off to another kid. And I'm like, Kurt Russell, and like, and I'm like, no! Nick, in my head, I'm like, you know, tombstone, where he's like going in slow motion. It's like me, I'm like, no! And I'm like, Ugh! and I, I'm stressed out, and I walk down the stairs, and I'm like, go down right to where, like, 
she's here, he's here. I go there and I go in between them and I get really close to his face. And I'm like, you're going to stop splashing my daughter, right? And look, I'm not a threatening person, but to this kid, I'm the freaking Hulk, man. His eyes are like this big and I'm sure he heard like, you splash me smash. You know, I was just like, you know, but I was, you know, I look back and, and he looks scared and I'm like, man, I feel like a big damn bully. And then I look at Ellen, she's got this smile on her face. And I'm like, I feel like a big damn hero. But that satisfaction I was feeling went away like that. Because I still had no idea what the hell I was going to do about Ella's underwear. But then it occurred to me that they had classrooms downstairs to where they went to camp. And in those classrooms are cubbies where the kids keep spare clothes in case they have an accident. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll go downstairs. Maybe you want to, it's like 7.30 at night. So I mean, I'm thinking the classrooms probably aren't open. Go downstairs, you know, the hallways are lit, but all the classrooms are dark. So I find her classroom and I go to the cubby and I can't see, like, I don't think there are names on the cubbies. So I'm like, I, but I've taken her to, I've taken her there before. I've taken her plenty of times and I'm thinking, okay, I know where her underwear are. So I go in there and I grab the underwear and as I'm grabbing the underwear, I notice a scent. And I'm like, this is wrong because my wife, Melissa, has skin allergies. And if, the, if she watches all our stuff in fragrance-free detergent, so there shouldn't be a scent there. Here's my thought. Someone walks in this classroom at 7.30 at night, and a 40-year-old man is sticking his nose up to a pair of little girls' underwear. There isn't a damn story in this world that I could tell it's going to make logical sense and not have me in handcuffs. Now, I want to stand here and I want to tell you that Something happened, guy walks in, it was funny, and I got arrested and all that funny crap. I smelled the underwear, there was a scent. I saw a name on her cubby, I pulled out a Little Mermaid underwear, and I went upstairs. Now, what I want to tell you is, I would love to tell you that I went upstairs, and the teacher told me that she was under the water and had a great time. That didn't happen. Now, two weeks later that happened, and she was doing great. But one thing that happened, more or less, one thing that did not happen, and never happened again, that little fucker never splashed my daughter ever again. Thank you. Stay tuned in December as we announce the themes for our 2019 season on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. Tickets for our events are available there too. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Please follow us on Twitter, at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.